0: Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by EverMed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevich.
1: to the new episode of the Farmer Launch Secrets. Today, I have a special pleasure of being joined by three guests from Havas Group. Uh, we have Tara Stewart, uh, who is Managing Director. We have Richard Schaefer, who is Associate Managing Director. And then we have Patrick, or Pat Thistleweight, I just learned how to pronounce it properly. All again, from Havas Group. These three guests have a wealth of knowledge in digital marketing, data analytics, Customer Relationship Management, uh, CX, Pharma launches. So they have held leadership positions in several marketing agencies uh, and pharma companies before working at Havas Group, including Mazda, uh, Pfizer, Bristol-Myers, Quibb, and Razorfish. Welcome, Richard, Patrick, and Tara.
2: Thanks, Rosie. Nice to be here. Thanks. Great to be here.
1: This is going to be fun. All right. So on this podcast, we are talking about pharma launches and, and all the topics that uh, related to that, including of course uh, omnichannel and customer experience. So the first question: Let's really start. And when we talk about, especially CX, is always starting with patient and HCPs. A lot has changed the last three, four years. So if we could start maybe uh, highlighting some of those biggest changes on when it comes to HCPs and patients who need new medicine. What has changed in terms of their expectations?
2: Maybe I'll start, and uh, everyone else can can chime in. I, I think the biggest thing that we've seen in the last three or four years is the expectations of patients and HCPs have have, have shifted. What they expect from pharmaceutical company communications is drastically drastically different than it was just a, a few years ago. They hold us at the same level. They have the same level of expectations as as Netflix and you know Disney Plus and, and Amazon, and they're not settling for second-rate experiences. So, you know, we, we've definitely seen that from our, our customers. And then on our, our clients, we, we see our clients generally, you know, following that trend by bringing in expertise from outside of the pharmaceutical industry. You know, a lot, of each of us have backgrounds that, that span pharma and non-pharma. And, and we're starting to really see that reflected in our client organizations as well, looking to bring in best-in-class capabilities from uh, from the travel industry, from the financial industry, from even automotive.
3: I think the digital pollution that we saw before COVID has only got worse, and I, I think I don't think anyone has really figured out completely yet how to stem the tide of the avalanche of emails and ads and interruptions and text messages and and everything that we see in our day-to-day lives and and i don't think it matters whether you're a, a patient or an HCP or or you know ourselves we we see it all the time and i think i think more and more pharma companies now moved over to digital first as from a channel perspective during covid to try and reach people they couldn't get to anymore in person and I think everyone is trying to overcome that, but I, I'm not sure that that the industry as a whole has quite got to the point yet where they've figured out how to really cut through, reduce the clutter, and and really focus on on what's important rather than just a a mass of communications.
0: So, Richard, just feeding off of that piece though is, and it, it's not a change, but it's where it needs to go, right? So even before COVID. Right. The need for precision and accuracy is far greater than it was before, right? So you talked about cutting through the clutter, right? So Bosey, it's really about arming your marketers with the right data so that they're cutting through that clutter and getting to the individual, right, at the right time where they are, meeting them where they are. You'll hear me say meeting them where they are, because every company is in a very different place. Richard's chuckling because I say this all the time, right? CX so isn't a magic switch. So I think the challenges that pharma still has is brands, it's difficult for brands to do it alone. And companies that may not have an, a true CX vision are struggling to really achieve the true CX outcomes that they're they're laying down for themselves, right? And you can see the differences across various pharma codes based on the level of commitment that they're putting in.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, oh, important I mean, points that you made, and it's digital first, and then how to do digital, and the precision and the user experiences. It, it, you know, one thing that I'm listening and I'm thinking, okay, how can a brand director nowadays, let's say a commercial person responsible for launch, whatever is the job title, it feels like they need to build like a massively broad set of skills in order to be able to be dangerous in the room and ask the right question (laughs) and also be able to pull these pieces together. And so has that, what you're saying right now, first of all, when you think, when we think how does, how do these expectations translate in how pharma, first of all, is set up organizationally for launch? Do you see expansion of those teams? Used to be, you know, medical, commercial, you know, uh, digital. Do you feel like expansion of like the CX person part of the conversation or is it horizontally built? function. So how does that translate first organizationally into how far is set up?
0: So I guess I'll I'll jump in first and Pat and Richard, feel free to, to chime in. I would say it varies by company, right? So you have certain companies that have gone all in and built centers, excellence or hubs, if you will, that are really driving the MarTech, the ecosystem and trying to drive the adoption of customer experience in, in Omni like BMS, like Pfizer, right? There's there's many. And then there's others like Janssen, right? And some of the larger entities that are still going brand by brand. So they are bringing in CX roles, right? They are, but each company is doing it different in terms of how it aligns to their strategy and how they are building out those skill sets. And what you're also seeing, and you mentioned this, is the role of a marketer in the skills will need to evolve, right? And pharma is still, I think, grappling with that a little bit. Digital isn't an add-on, it is marketing, right? So we shouldn't even be saying digital marketing anymore. It should be because when you talk about experiences, it is the customer in all of the touch points, whether that be live, whether that be person in person or, or digitally enabled. So I think you're seeing many versions or iterations of how this is evolving and some are doing it better than others as a result.
2: Yeah, I think people who are successful on the client side in, in individual roles in, in marketing teams are, are people who are embracing new ways of working, embracing new capabilities to, to really do precision marketing, personalized marketing, to build personalized experiences that, that solve problems for our customers. You have to have an understanding of MarTech. You have to have an understanding of data and how it flows through ad tech and MarTech what data you can use to target, what data you can use to change what you're showing a, a customer, what data you can then collect from that experience to make the next experience better. That's all new. This isn't just putting a, a TV ad out into the world or doing a, a monthly email series. It definition of good CX is that it anticipates a need, it, it solves a problem, and then iterates to solve the next problem that a, a customer has
3: I think to that point and and to what Tara said particularly, you know the mindset of putting the customer first is I think where where really everybody needs to go next. I think it's that move from thinking about the the technology and and, and Pat, to your point, you know everything everything needs the technology, everything needs the data, and I think a lot of organizations have have got are building a lot of that, those things and getting them in place. I think there's still a long way to go, And I, but we're, I think where the organizations that we're seeing that are further ahead that have embedded a lot of that stuff still haven't necessarily got to the point yet where the mindset has changed of the marketer to say, it's not about, yeah, I need the platforms, I need the data to be ena- able to enable this, but how am I fundamentally changing how we talk to customers? And making sure that they're strategically going back and thinking about the journeys and the individual experiences that a customer is actually the way that they're interacting with the organisation to fundamentally change how we think about the customer's experience and not the brand, the product, the technology, the platform.
2: Yeah, I, I think you know this could be overwhelming, and and I've seen particularly some consultancies uh, create giant 400 page decks and incredibly detailed and brilliant customer experience maps but you give that to someone who is is evolving as a, as a marketer and it, it's really really tough to, to implement it i mean what we found success in is breaking it down into individual use cases and just finding one thing that we can change one thing where we can adjust it slightly based on Behavior, uh, whether that's, you know, uh, claims analysis, behavior that we derive from claims analysis, whether it's behavior that we see online, just one thing and and change that. And then the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, rather than looking at a a full, you know, potentially multi-year customer journey and trying to attack it all at once. That's it's over. It can be overwhelming.
1: Yeah, I can only I can only imagine. Then you add layers like you know global launches, and <laughs> different languages, and all that. It tends to get even more and more complicated. But the idea of oh, you know, choosing your battles and very like ruthlessly prioritizing what will be the first, the second, the third thing of these four hundred things or four hundred slides that we have. Maybe there's like twenty things we should do that we are not doing today or not set up with our capabilities. You know, overwhelm is real, and and I talk so to farm teams. I talk to them daily, and I can definitely feel that. One question that comes in and you're mentioning, you know, data and analytics and and basically ability to provide an individual you experience through different channels. And as I'm listening, I'm thinking, well that requires tremendous amount of data about an individual in order to really personalize that to truly personalized. I always think of hotel industry and how the journey when you enter a hotel and then you message and then you see something on TV and then before and after. So because a multi-channel kind of follows me, knows what I want and all that. So And that requires apart from third-party data, also first-party data, right? To be able to do something like that. So I have to ask you this question because I'm curious how are pharma companies that are thinking about this topic and that are doing something right now, managing or being able to get the rich first party data producing more content or are they you know how are they able to attract doctors patients into their own world to generate the data is that important first of all
3: so i think what we're seeing in a lot in a lot of the larger pharma companies is they are consolidating a lot of that data analysis work and the data sourcing internally and building core data functions and big data lakes and data warehouses in order to be able to do this so i i think first of all it's it's definitely a Uh, a trend that we've noticed that the sophistication of what they're doing in-house is growing and advancing and they're building breaking down the silos of data that's the key i mean that's the key first step for anyone who wants to improve uh, where they're at with their data is is to start by seeing what data they have and bringing it all into one place and making sense of it in in one centralized uh function then it becomes about the value exchange that you're offering with the customers in order to be able to generate more data So it's not just I want you to give me your information, but it's what are you going to get back in return and understanding the value exchange that you're offering in order to be able to justify parting with that information. And I think, I think, I think we see a certain level of. I think probably people not thinking through what that value exchange is and only thinking about one side of the equation. I want your data, what, and not thinking about the value they're giving back in return. Um, so I'd say once you once you've got your data consolidated and you're ready to start collecting more, the first thing to think about is what is valuable data, and the next thing is what am I willing to do in order to get that data, and how am I going to live the promise. So you know the number of websites that you'll go to in pharma and outside of pharma, where if you sign up to receive a newsletter, you are either get bombarded with a slew of daily emails that you didn't really plan on getting in the first place or you don't get anything and actually there's no there's no reality behind the promise of parting with the data so i think understanding accurately what the customer wants and what that value exchange needs to be um, is definitely critical to making sure that you're going to start building the right the right captures and the right offer to, to to build your first party customer data
0: yeah, and those, what I would also say is most of pharma has had a lot of this data for a long time, right? They just didn't actually put a value on it and it was decentralized, right? So it was untapped and often duplicated by going outside. So to Richard's point, with the level of investment in great, creating these data and analytics teams, it's starting to empower right, the organizations to work differently. That being said, back to Richard's comment earlier, that's where the growth mindset comes in, right? Because it requires you to work across matrices, knowing where that data is and how to access that data, which again, ties back to how that marketer needs to understand, right, all the aspects that we talked about a little bit ago too.
3: Tara said it much nicer than I did (laughs) there.
2: And and that value exchange, I mean, there's still so much poor execution of this. You can tell where someone wanted to launch a CRM program for a, a product and they just put something out there and then forgot about it. I, I there's a, a product that we're working on a pitch for recently and I, I signed up for their you know their email just part of my due diligence to to try to see what uh what they would what they would have, what they would share, what kind of program they had. Didn't get anything for five days. And, and by the way, I signed up as someone who wasn't yet diagnosed and, and the first thing they sent me after five days was uh for a, a, a prescription card, like a, a discount card, just completely not useful for someone in in that that space. You know, if you've got someone, if you have a customer who is spending the time doing their research, coming to a a brand website and giving you their information, like that's you should be doing everything possible to help solve whatever issue they have and. There's so much opportunity there for that person who's reaching out for help, reaching out to say, you know, give me some value, give me something. So just let it go is it's crazy to me that that still is something that happens. But you you can see um, you can see how it happens with how these programs get put into place
1: sometimes. Yeah. I also sometimes be shocked with some of these things because in in the farm industry was different than I see from, from other industries. One of the things that lifetime value per customer is massive. Like LTV is just massive per patient or per doctor, right? And so if you look at that and you're like, well, there's a lot of margin to play with. So if I have an inbound lead, who's the highest quality lead that you're describing, is coming to our website, and we do it in our day-to-day marketing with our Evermet, we see that it's always a higher quality lead. Someone reaching out, asking for information. You know, there is intent, there is everything. So actually, recently we came across, we were thinking like, how fast should we respond? for example and we found the data and it turns out that there is massive advantage if you respond within the first 5 minutes nowadays it's ridiculous it was some massive difference i forgot the percentage so I started to think oh okay so how can we do that and not a chatbot but really like a human being asking hey what do you need because just doing that and investing some money in that experience uh, with the margin and the high lifetime values actually you know, very doable and very commercially attractive, and so there are some. Sometimes I would wonder, like, oh, how is this MedInfo not set to, to be better, beautiful, easy to use when someone asking a question about interactions of between drugs, or should I prescribe this, or how do I get the card for something else? So it's puzzling, but uh, I, I see signs of improvements as well <laughs> from my side. But when it comes, another thing that also comes to my mind is, and whenever people mention a like omni channel, is there's no omnichannel without content. There absolutely there's no omnichannel, right? And sometimes when we think of digital-first future, we say, "Well, digital is already first, but it's it's very also content-first future." So every company wants to produce more content in every industry. Some industries have been doing that for years. And when I say content, sometimes I would say content and and talking to pharma folks, and they would think visual aid. And when I say content, I mean. You know, video, audio, photographic, text, on-demand content you can access, you know, third-party, first-party places. And recently there was this research, I think, was with McTana was published and say, well, more than 60% of pharma teams struggle with content and continues to be a struggle for various reasons. How do you see that playing out over the next two or three years if you had a crystal ball? Or maybe at Havas you have a crystal ball uh, somewhere in the office. <laughs> and say, well, how is this content thing going to evolve, everyone knows they need to do something, but everyone's like, well, yes, but there is this, but there is that. What do you think will happen over the next two or three years?
0: Well, I would say it's been going on for a long time. Pharma's is just a little slower, right, to the to the party. I do think you will start to see the shift of part of the challenge. I should start there. Part of the challenge is the way the industry goes about executing content, right? It is very tactically focused, and creative. What is happening as a result of being customer-centric is you need to focus on the content agnostic of channel and start shifting to that true content publishing mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Many have been doing that for years outside of the pharma industry. And it changes pharma's role in what they are, right? Shifting from a product-based company to a content publisher, right, is a big difference in how you approach getting the right information to the right channel etc. so i think you'll start to see those and we are seeing it now those that are further ahead are starting to do this right and they're trying to spend more time up front from a strategy perspective and creating that content so they can truly distribute and not execute tactics right but there's very few that are doing it well across all channels right because they're still early on this particular journey so i think you will see advancements i think you will continue to see the digital world require an expectation of more content, right? Social started it. But again, people think of social in its own lane, not necessarily how you use that content across channels. So I think you're going to continue to see that shift out of the tactics and more so into that customer and the creation of content agnostic. I mean, you said it earlier, many of our clients, they start content creation with a visit not it literally is that's the first thing that goes into market research that's the first thing they ask very rarely do they ask the patient so i think really focusing on the who and then creating the what is going to be the biggest shift at least i hope
3: <laughs> yeah couldn't agree more i think i think content science is also starting to come in more and when we think about what types of content to create and what is going to move the needle Richard, what
1: is content science so i need <laughs>
3: It's the understanding and uh, the, the, the strategic and scientific understanding of how people change attitudes, change behaviors, and which types of content lead to which, which types of attitudinal changes and which types of behavior changes. So, so really understanding your objectives and what you're trying to, what change you're trying to engender in your audience, that needs to be quite specific. So when we come back to think about the, the data that sits behind it, the right data leads you to understanding how your customers are thinking and behaving today. The right strategy understands where, how you want those thoughts and behaviors to change. And then it's the right content to activate the specific types of behavior and attitudinal changes that you're looking for. So I think gone are the days where we just say, we need a TV ad. Now, I'm not saying TV ads are going anywhere, but the reality is that there are lots of different types of content out there and different types of content are better for different types of objective in terms of behavior and and mindset change. So understanding that and thinking really uh, at a a different sort of level about what type of change you're looking for and matching the right types of content to that, I think makes a big, it marks the shift in moving away from thinking about it as just purely an art and moving much more towards a, uh, a more scientific approach of how you choose Prioritize, build, and deliver content. Yeah, content
2: strategy and and melding that with behavioral science to get to get content science. I Thanks, mean, uh, content. <laughs>
0: content. Uh, <laughs> you can trademark that, Richard.
2: I like it's it. it. It's I'm using good, that from now on. I like that a lot. I'll find another way to use it today if somewhere. No, but it, content strategy is about the fastest growing role that we have in in the the network uh, at, at the moment. I mean, there's a just a massive need as. Our, our clients recognize the need to create more content. There's a massive need to just not make more stuff but to make it smarter and, and make it to be very aligned at the behavior changes that we're trying to trying to affect their content strategy and, and general omni-channel strategy are the two probably most in-demand roles at the at the network at the moment.
1: Yeah I can imagine and just you know using cocked content to, activate behavior change and do it at an individual level of physician understanding first of all what do they let say beliefs around something or even at the segment level because there are you know sometimes in segment level could work but and, and thinking of it in terms of science uh, I think that's also it feels overwhelming first of all when you think of it as a as like pharma person launching a product I just don't think it's an if This needs to be done. It's a question of how fast you'll figure out what works. And I had that conversation with some of the large pharma company the other day, general manager, now VP, big launch preparation, the whole team. And one of the things that they agreed is like, we understand that this is not if we need more content to do this, it's how fast are we going to make all these small failures until we figure out what works, right? One or two things.
2: The reality is this does work. I mean, where we've done... Test and control models, like, it, it really, really works. So if we're not doing this, we're, and others are, you're going to fail. It, it actually makes a tangible difference in ROI whenever we personalize content, whenever we personalize uh, the, the the messages that we're putting out there, whenever we use content science to approach these things. So if we're not figuring it out, then we're not keeping up with uh, the industry. Yeah.
1: One question I have that and it's maybe a tactical question is let's say you have all these pieces of content, you know, organized in a modular way or modular content just had a topic actually from an expert from Havas, And it's just a better, smarter way, really, to plan for content and create content and be able to cater to different individuals. The question is, how would let's say the content drives behavior change? How can that being measured before it's really expressed into maybe increased prescription for a new product or using the right drug for the right patient, which will come to, you know, increased prescription in the right patient, which oftentimes there's a new drug in the market, but it just takes like two or three years until doctors really even learn, oh, it's in the guidelines. Oh, I should actually be using it. And then patients don't get access for two or three years. So how do you measure that? Like on this individual piece of content before that? Is it through so like a little small survey when you change that? Did this help you learn this or that or help you with your clinical decision making? Like what are those proxies until after six months, nine months or 12 months? We're like, okay, there is actually change even in prescriptions. So how do you think about that?
0: Well, I'll, I'll jump in first and, and I'll kind of parlay this from the journey I was on in, in my prior life because we did advance to modular content. And I would say the, it requires you to look at your engagement data more frequently. And that was a big shift for us because often it was perceived as operational data. It's not important. However, that operational engagement data does give you the insights of what's working, what's not working. So it's not a set it and forget it. You need to launch and be looking at the engagement across. To Pat's point, when you're doing A and B testing, right? Pivot and make changes quickly. So there's a lot that you can do, but that's where it requires different skill sets to be able to look at that information. And it doesn't always give you the answer. It often raises the questions, right? So you have to be actively in the data Reacting and proactively making shifts and optimizations throughout the journey, right? Because there is that long lead time.
3: I think how you how you build your measurement framework is also an important Absolutely. part of the conversation. So you know you've got to understand again your audience and your objectives. What are you trying to achieve? What are the what's the path to get there? And understanding you know is this a new category where we are um, launching a new drug, and therefore. The major push, first of all, is on education and finding a finding a niche, uh, or finding the unmet need, or finding the right HCP with the right patient types. Whatever that specific objectives are, is being really specific about it, understanding what you're doing, and then building everything down from there. So you're building your content. Again, we were talking about content a second ago. So building your content up to make sure that it ladders up to those objectives. Everything needs to come from those overarching objectives, and then having the right measures at the right points in your journey to make sure that, and also measuring at multiple levels. So just measuring a campaign level is kind of the, is my media working? Yeah, your media might be working, but is the content within the media working? Is the content within the media driving the behavior changes you're looking for? And what sits in between those things is defined by where what your objectives for your brand are and, and the brand situation and the overall change that's required in your audience to get you there. Yeah, I
2: think there's, you brought up media, Richard, there's a big trend of our clients expecting more from from media and, and expecting more in, you know, not just campaign reporting, but you know, integrated reporting with, with creative, with the creative side, integrated reporting and insight generation that's critical. I, I have a, a whole theory that we could probably do a whole other podcast on about the reconvergence of, of media and creative. Everyone broke it apart here. Over the last ten or fifteen years, and got their own you know, enterprise media agencies and separate creative agencies. It's coming back together because of this. Like it's it's going to be very very hard to separate media and and, and creative in in a, in a modern world where we're doing you know, much more of this you know, behavioral strategy, behavioral science driven content and and personalized
1: marketing. Yeah, interesting to say that we see you know also across other industries. Like an interesting blend between you know pay per click advertising or it's called media okay in pharma and then organic or you know inbound as you know HubSpot named it in two thousand seven so that's where you do both like a really really interesting intersection <laughs> where you organic and something works you test it out then you actually turn into creative then you kind of blow it up and it's suddenly there there there's this world where media is also used to drive the conversation and not just you know, have very specific direct response message or brand message, but it's actually, you know, shaping those either beliefs or educating (laughs) almost like, you know, sometimes I think of it as hundreds of, of billboards that I'm going through, but it's not like one telling me do this or brand awareness. Here we are, but it's actually a series of messages that I'm exposed and I'm learning and it's shaping my beliefs. And I see so that after I see those hundred billboards, I actually went through the content experience similar to how I would go through when I'm on a netflix like hub or something where there's a lot of content right which I see Richard.
3: we can take that a step further as well and, and and I know we talk a lot about digital and one of my concerns about the digital first mindset is that we still have in person interactions there's not going anywhere pharma companies haven't suddenly you know lost faith in their sales forces if anything they're doubling down and making sure that everything that we're doing in the digital world is Helping the rep be more effective when they're in the office, making sure that the Congress experience is perfect and aligning those things to make sure that your rep has the, the insight to extend that content experience. And that's not just the IVA or the CVA or the visual aid, you know, on an iPad that they've got in front of them. But that's that's the messaging that sits behind it. And that's understanding you know what your HCP is is. Doing in digital channels, how they're prescribing, what the the deep insight is that you can deliver to them to make them more effective, and then bringing them back into the into the circle again. So, it, it's making omni-channel really omni-channel and not just a digital experience done better.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say that because you no, know, we definitely didn't want to forget uh, human beings and uh, sales reps. And you know, 100% agree. Sometimes we use the term amplifier to amplify what reps do so they have more meaningful conversations, informed by the data, informed by the intent of the person that they're talking to, what content did they watch before they met, what did they believe, what questions do they have, and also after. So there is this kind of seamless, oh, I talked to rep about X, but there is, okay, now I see a piece of content that continues that conversation from a yeah, cat, well, X, Y, Z. And I think that, that's a must. There are, of course, challenges, and I hear more and more challenges with attribution. Someone mentioned to me three days ago that marketing attribution is going to be a place where, New billion-dollar companies will be built, new unicorns, just because it's becoming harder and harder and harder. And the terms like dark social are raising. So you see where your customers or prescriptions are coming from, but then when you ask them, they actually say that they're coming from somewhere else. It's like really interesting how all of that is going to shape up. We're going becoming more precise, and we're dealing now with an additional set of challenges. Well. I think we could have probably uh, uh, scheduled multiple different episodes to go a little deeper on all these topics. But knowing that we have a few minutes left, uh, it's been a great conversation. And interesting. I recently got this table that's height adjustable, but it's also a whiteboard. And it took me a couple of months to realize that it's whiteboard. <laughs> so now I started to actually draw and make like all those mind, mind maps during podcasts. And I have a whole thing now in front of me, like those artists used to be hired sometimes for those meetings <laughs> to turn into a drawing. So I'm looking, okay. This is a lot, and I could actually go deep into one of these topics <laughs> more. But given the constraint of time, but one thing I love to do is have listeners learn more about you as human beings, as persons, and <laughs> not only about the content. So I have some you know, uh, questions, quick questions. Feel free to choose one. Whoever wants to go, let's do one question per person, maybe. So favorite industry buzzword of 2023, what do you think will be? Maybe all three can go for this one. Just one <laughs> word.
3: I think Tara's starting the trend with meeting them where they are. <laughs>
0: okay.
2: words in one. AI AI, 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 AI,
1: AI, 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 AI. Everything is AI. Everything everything AI. Okay, I like that. Everything AI. Cool. Richard, do you have any 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 other or that was the one?
3: I thought I'd stolen Tara's one. That was my uh, that was my <laughs> contribution. I think Terra still has to go. Go on, Tara. Uh, sure. Well,
0: I think I think Omni Channel is actually overused. <laughs> Believe it or not. Uh, but I think AI, I think Pat's right. It's everywhere, it's all things, and everyone thinks it's gonna solve every problem they have, right? But back to yeah. our earlier conversation, there's a lot that needs to be in place to take advantage of it.
1: Mhm. All right, and maybe AI will be doing really precisely all of this on the channel, knowing exactly what a person needs, at a very individual level, before they know it in their sleep.
3: I mean, I'm hoping it doesn't get too clever too fast, otherwise, I'll be unemployed.
0: So. <laughs> well, Elon yeah. Musk is trying to help yeah. you out with that.
3: Yeah, he's, he's delaying it for you, oh, just just how for real. How, how sweet?
1: <laughs> you. There you go. Speaking of behavior change, this is funny, I was listening to this episode, and I met this guy, a neuroscientist and is at MIT, and talks about brains, one of the top world's experts, and he worked with Elon Musk and all that, and he said that now lately, they actually haven't put someone to sleep during that part of the sleep where we're processing our day, you can use smell. To trigger very strong behavior change so in smokers they would actually have nicotine smell and then add rotten egg smell but at the right time if you do it throughout the whole night nothing happens but at the right night time and then after two days the smokers are like oh, i really don't like smoking so it's like really interesting uh how we're going to do that behavior change new guidelines <laughs> prescriptions i don't know <laughs> but it's going to be fun <laughs> it made me think and then what's the best book that you read that was impactful for you over the past year or two
2: I just read one. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it impactful. It was a really good book, though. "Gray Bees" by Andrei Kirkov. He also wrote "Death and the Penguin." That's his his famous book. But he's uh, it's about a beekeeper who lives in the essentially the demilitarized zone in in Ukraine in the Donbass fiction, uh, but but just really entertaining, interesting, and, and and different. As is "Death and the Penguin," where uh, the the protagonist has a two-foot empire penguin that, uh, that he keeps in his, his apartment in, I can't remember if it's Moscow or St. Petersburg in that one, but uh, yeah, really interesting author uh, who, I, who I follow quite a bit here.
1: Tara and Richard, did you know that Patrick was reading these two, two books and taking notes here?
0: He did share it actually with the team a little bit ago. So I, I did know that one.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, then the second question, another question is your go-to music there, Richard, when you feel need a little bit of inspiration?
0: Oh, that, can, that really depends.
1: Genre or song?
0: I have a very diverse music genre, but I would say as of late, and you'll make fun of me for this, my daughter has created her pre-game Spotify, which is actually really, really good. And it's inspirational. So I've been ripping off her Spotify list to be honest with you, playlist. But I will say, if you're asking about uh, go-to bands, uh, I will tend to go back to The Who any day, love them, seen them in concert more than I should admit. And they're still going. They've retired like five times.
3: <laughs> I, in, in the spirit of confessions, I'm still relatively new to the US. I've been here about three, just over three years now. And I recently fairly recently started listening to country music for the first time and i don't know if that's about (laughs) embedding myself in american culture or it's just it's just as a brit i never really was exposed to it that much but i have discovered i quite like country music and uh so i'm just learning new artists and i have got made up a playlist now that's got about 100 different country songs on it and it's a whole (laughs) new genre to explore which is quite exciting i don't know whether it's something i should be proud of or slightly embarrassed by but i am quite enjoying my journey through country so,
0: so Richard if it makes you feel better I've embraced country in the last five years as well it's great
3: I haven't done that but it makes me want to buy boots and a cowboy hat and really throw myself into it I'm not going to yet but maybe I see one
0: a Nashville bit. trip in your future
3: exactly I, see one too. <laughs> I haven't embraced country but I have embraced Taylor
2: Swift because I've got an 11 and a 13 year old daughter and it's on all the time uh, they're very oh, wow. very into Taylor Swift
3: that all that said, I do have Ed Sheeran tickets when he comes to visit. Uh, here yeah, you go uh, in June.
1: So. Ah, June, mid June. Yes, another round. But um, yeah, great. Well, I don't know when you go back to UK and you confess the country music. <laughs> and and, uh, that I'm
3: right? going to be keeping yeah. that. I'm going to be keeping <laughs> this podcast is US only, right? No one, no one outside the US is going to be able to explore. Of course not. You just, Your, secret uh, is- okay, well,
0: <laughs> Your secret is not safe.
1: Great, and so, and one sentence, just one sentence, piece of advice for someone new, just starting in the world of pharma or media slash creative. One sentence advice.
0: Oh, mine is challenge the status quo. All
2: right. Well, I'd I'd say be curious. Curious. All right,
1: Richard.
3: Remember, your customer is the person who is the most important one in the equation. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Well, perfect. I think that's a wonderful uh, end to this uh, phenomenal podcast. I was lot here. It was really pleasure and fun to talk to you, and I um, hope the listeners also got a lot from it. So thank you for joining today.
3: Thank thank you know. Great, thank you.
0: This podcast was brought to you by EverMed. EverMed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at EverMed, thanks for listening.